This is So Then What Happened, a series where various types of artists from musicians, dancers, actors, singers, writers, stand-up comics, and so much more share their horror stories from the industry. And these stories will keep you asking, So Then What Happened? Welcome back to another episode of So Then What Happened. I am um, quite ashamed that I have not had this person on my podcast sooner because I love him to death. But here he is to make a lovely debut for season two. Um, he is a funny, talented, amazing person. I'm happy to know him. Honored to love him. Part-time comedian, full-time bachelor, Roger Dupree. Uh, thank you very much for that lovely uh, introduction for the old man here. You're, you're so welcome. He told me to say all of that. I'm just kidding. No, he did not. That's, that's all from the heart. I promise. I promise. I'd like to keep it real here. Um, so, Mr. Dupree, I, that's probably the first time I've ever said that in my life to you. Um, yes. Mr. Dupree. <laughs> the loan has been approved, Ms. Moise. Yes, yes, it has. It has. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and how you got to part-time comedy, full-time uh, bachelor. No, you don't have to talk about the bachelor part, but the, the part-time comedian. How, is it something you've always wanted to do? Did you dream of this? Did you stumble upon it? Did people just tell you to go do it? Damn it. How, how did you end up here? Uh, I kind of knew early on as a kid that uh, that I was funny. Uh, uh, grew up a uh, 70s kid and I uh, actually grew up listening to uh richard pryor which is which is very uh unusual because uh, i did not have any money for richard pryor albums mm. uh nor was i uh <laughs> able to listen to any of his material like i couldn't go out and buy a richard pryor record as a kid but so uh, my parents you, are geniuses how were my you asking are, mr pryor yeah so my parents are geniuses so they believe that hey if we put this kid up in the room and close his door uh, we can blast Richard Pryor albums and he won't know what's going on and what's being said. So we'll be excellent parents as long as the door is closed. And that's nice. what they did. And nice. when I first heard Richard Pryor, uh, as a child, I, I understood what he was saying in context, but I didn't understand fully. But he was he was extremely funny to me. And I felt like there was a, a sense of identification. I felt like, oh, this, this guy is kind of like me, like he likes to cut up and. And, and joke around and people are really feeding off of it. Uh, so probably at that time, like early on like elementary school, probably like around 10 or 11, okay. always a class clown, always getting into trouble. And uh, I just kind of felt like, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to do, but never said it out loud, never believed in myself enough to, to say that's what I wanted to be because I didn't see any examples around me in my immediate life of people that were funny for a living or, 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 or getting paid to do it or, you know, did it as a livelihood. So mm -hmm. I kind of just like uh, tucked it away and then uh, I actually gambled on myself. And the very first time I got on stage was in high school. Oh, um, early, early bird for, well, compared to me, but yes. Okay. High school. Yeah. Hillcrest High School, uh, which was unusual. I was an incoming freshman. So I spent four full years at my high school because my middle school was only two years and the first time ever I got on stage uh was my was a talent show my sophomore year and mm -hmm. just just to, just to show you how uh ignorant and fearless youth is it never <laughs> crossed my mind that if I eat a bag of dicks on this show I gotta be around these people for the next three years it never dawned on me that I was gonna dub and just totally tank and, right. and, and have to live this down. <clears throat> right. uh, they had auditions for it. And just on a whim, I said, I'm going to go to audition and I'm just going to do this. I didn't have any material planned. And I just Wing went ahead and, <clears throat> yeah, I just went ahead and wanted them. Just everything was off the cuff. So did that show and I killed. And then that was my confirmation. I was like, if I can make these folks laugh, uh, you know, we're all kids. And they said I couldn't curse. And they said I couldn't talk about any of the faculty. So it was like, I really had to. <laughs> come up with material that was universal. And uh, I did it one more time after that. We had something that happened at the school. So the very last one of my senior year, I, something happened with the show. I, I didn't get involved in it, but sophomore and junior year, I did it. And then uh, summer of 1990 was my first show in the real world. It was a show actually for another school. It was for uh, a Columbia Teachers University uh, uptown in New York. So. Oh, wow. That's cool. Now, I find it interesting, I think, and because we, we met at a writer's group, and I think that's why we both struggle with writing, because it's like, if I could just wing it and make y'all laugh, why am I going to bother writing and constructing these jokes? Like, I just don't want to. It's just, I, 
you, you've seen the success. So why? I, well, at least that's where I stand. I, I, I feel like you've probably gotten better with discipline in that area. But no, I just don't like it. Uh, if I write a if I write a joke or a skit now, I literally have to write it out simply just because you know I'm I'm just older now. So, but when I was younger, I would write ideas and I would just basically write them in the order that I was going to say them on stage, and then that's basically all I need. The actual meat, heart, and body of the joke was in Can't my head. Free. Right, same. That's the same way I feel about it. That's why it's if at least for me, it's still hard to just like sit down and write jokes. I'm like, but no, this is just so much better when neither one of us know what I'm going to say, isn't it? Just more fun that way. Yeah, yeah. Plus, it 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 feels uh feels too business like. You know, it, it's kind of like uh going on an interview versus writing your resume. You're writing your resume to get the interview, but the interview really doesn't. It's not a. It's not a direct. Uh, derivative of the resume. It's kind of like you glazing over your resume, but kind of bringing the resume to life. So same thing with the joke. Writing a joke. Oh my gosh. See, off the dome. I I don't think you've said these words before. That's a really great analogy, though. Yeah, yeah. You figure when you're writing a joke, you you get kind of caught up and you're like, "Mm, how's this sound? Is this right? But ultimately, once you do get it out, once you get on stage, it is a different incarnate. It's a different incarnate of the of the actual material. So you're bringing yeah. it to life, and it's not necessarily what's on the page. It's about really how you're presenting it, how you're getting into it, and how you you know just how you deliver it to the audience. Gotcha. So I mean, with such a great start, well, I'm just gonna wing it. I'm just gonna try this show, and ha, oh, everybody laughed. It was great. With such a great start, um, I'm I'm very interested to hear about. <laughs> This horror story where where the start definitely did not reflect that uh, show, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll start the first one. So uh, my first dance uh, with uh, with death is uh, started in 1990, and uh, that's when I really started to do comedy. So I'm the type of person where I never wanted to do it for money. Money was never a motivating factor. It still isn't to do comedy, it was always a vehicle and a means for me to express myself artistically. So as long as I was able to do it and it didn't feel like work or business, then I was glad to do it. So- Oh, uh, can I, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt you there. If you're doing stand-up comedy for the money, please leave now. Um, You will be very disappointed. Sorry, continue. Yeah. <laughs> disappointed and hungry and and no healthcare either. So you'll, you'll yeah. be sickly, starving and, and, and disappointed. Right, you better love it. Like, there's no reason to do this <clears throat> if you don't love it. Yes, exactly, exactly. So uh, I used to uh, work in the city, and I was doing shows. Like, I'm going to name places because people. We have to give people context here. No, uh, no. Stacy, we have to let people know that the, you know how much older I am than you, just I so am- they know because because I'm going <laughs> to run off places that you probably never heard of, or maybe you heard your parents discuss at one point or another. But uh, places like. Uh, the Village Gate. Uh, what was another place I did? Uh, the Village Gate was one. Uh, man, I can't remember, but that's the only one I can come up with right now. But there were some venues uh, in which comedy shows would happen that I was doing at that time in the early 90s. So once I became a working man, uh, I was working for a telecommunications company in the city. And not too far from my offices was a uh, New York Comedy Club. And uh, I'm sorry, Manhattan Comedy Club. Is it New York Comedy Club? I mean, back then, I don't know what it was. I love you. Sorry. (laughs) I'm trying to think. Was it New York Comedy Club? I mean, there is a New York Comedy Club. Yeah, New York York Comedy Club. Because you know what I'm thinking? I'm I'm old. I'm old. I'm thinking Stand Up New York, but I know Stand Up New York is over in the 80s. Uh, New York Comedy Club is is down in the the low 20s. Right off of, uh, I want to say... I'm going to say off a second avenue, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my gosh. So, yours with the city. Like, let me tell you, the way this man just knows the city, it's it's like it's I, maybe it's because I'm so not a city person. But it's just like I feel like I'm talking to like I can't think of what's the the term. Not, not archaeologist. Oh, my God. Sorry. No, I can't think of the word. The, like the, the basically like if there was a world where we needed people to just like keep track of stuff, that would be you. I just can't think of the name of the position. But yes, continue. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the hood Magellan, right? I'm the hood Magellan. Yeah. You, you wear it well. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, 
started doing uh, workout rooms. They had a workout room and I would go there sometimes. And that's why I ran into a mutual friend of ours, Dave Lester. And Dave Lester, uh, the, uh, uh, the working man's comic, he's your, he's your comics comic. Uh, he's been in the industry for well over 20 years. Uh, and we came up around that same time when I met Dave. So we're talking about a relationship in comedy or that's based in comedy that's that's close to 25 years strong, if not maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, I'm a little bit shorter, I'm sorry. <clears throat> and um, through meeting Dave, uh, Dave was uh, producing shows back then. He was putting shows together. And at that time, he was putting together all types of shows for New York Comedy Club. And uh, that's why I started to really do comedy. He was the first person to, to book me, <clears throat> excuse me, put money in my pocket. Uh, I would host for him on some of those shows, uh, but more times I was always on the lineup. And it was it was great experience. It was great work. Got to meet a lot of other comedians that were up and coming at that time mm -hmm. and uh, really got into a rhythm with him. And what happened is through Dave, I got to network with other comedians and other producers that were doing shows at other venues. And I just kind of got steady doing shows. And this is during a time in comedy where it was a bringer culture. So back then. Mm -hmm. In order to get on stage, you had to bring folks with you and they would have to adhere to whatever the drink minimum was at the venue in order for you to get on stage. And I that mean, got that, really that culture is still uh, very prevalent. I've actually seen comedians start doing uh, bringer cultures now, like I'm sorry, bringer shows now, as opposed to like usually like the, the company or the sh the the venue is doing it i've actually seen comedians start doing bringer shows yeah yeah so. no i never understood I, I never seen somebody bomb so bad that somebody walked up and left their drink i still haven't seen that yet Damn. so the idea of of making people making a comic bring people who are going to who are basically you know obligated to purchase drinks whatever the drink minimum simply to watch you perform it just never made sense to me i understand that they want some money in their pocket but you're not necessarily <clears throat> going to lose any money if I get on stage. Like I said, nobody's going to, nobody's gonna, who's going to leave a, a, a Jack and Coke because I suck. I don't really see that happen. Right. And they paid $19 for it too, because it's in the city. But also you have the fact that like, speaking of culture, there's whole, like the social media now, social media comedians and blah, 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 which a lot of them, I shouldn't say a lot of them. I feel like there is a very large amount of them that are not actual comedians. Like, guess what? When you get on stage, there's no rewind button. There's no edit button. Like, you're doing great with the footage. You're doing great with the TikToks and whatever else. But knowing that those people are getting booked because they have followers is crazy because I'm like, but where are the followers? Who said they're going to come to Broadway Comedy Club? Like, who, how you know they're not in Tokyo? Like, I, I don't, the, no, a lot of it does not make sense to me. But it is, that's where we are. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Right, which I think is a distinct difference between uh, a comedian or someone does comedy and someone that does comedic or comedy content. Because when, right. once you have content to it, we now know the scope of medium in which you're presenting your material, and it doesn't necessarily translate on stage. If you've been somebody who's been doing skits, you know, throughout your entire uh, presence on social media, that's going to be—it's not going to be as easy to bring that to. Uh, to, to the stage. And then if you're actually using it as a vehicle to get stage time as a stand-up, you know, your followers are going to have to be ready for that transition. They're going to have to be ready to see you just by yourself and, and, and want to hear what you say. And sometimes right. just, just as a fan of the art myself, I don't necessarily want to see somebody who I was introduced doing comedy content to. Uh, if they're doing stand-up, I don't necessarily want to see. It's like when Jamie Foxx was doing a lot of stand-up comedy, and then he came out with that debut album, and I was so surprised at how good it was. But oh, my wanna, gosh. I don't want to hear that. Jamie trip. can sing. We know Jamie can sing. And he I knows did not want to hear that. I did not want my heart broken behind another black stand-up comedian. Oh, God. Uh, you know, because, you know, trigger warning, uh, Eddie Murphy is a musician. So. <laughs> my girl. <laughs> Yeah, so and 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 then it was funky and it was cool. It's like if you do a single, that's great. You do a song that's on the soundtrack of your movie, that that's really cool. But oh, you you did a whole album, like five or six of these. I don't think I want to sit down and listen to that. Right. Okay. Makes you know, sense. So, so yeah. So uh, in doing these shows, what would happen is it would be a lot of burnout. I experienced a lot of burnout. The idea or me putting more energy into trying to get people to come to ensure that I would be on stage became very taxing to me. And it started to feel like business and I didn't like it. And yeah, it's not like I, a scheme. come, come to the show. Hey, hey, come, come, come. Yeah. Yeah. And I stopped writing and uh, I stopped going to, you know, I just stopped going to, to shows to support other comedians. Like I was basically 
extracting myself from the from the comedy community. Mm-hmm. And aesthetically, I was not I still wasn't immersed in the culture. I just totally put myself out and I went mm-hmm. full civilian. I'm I'm paying taxes. I got bills now. I ain't got no time to try to bring all these people and get on stage just so I could tell some jokes. Like I just wasn't doing that because it was too much. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> years uh let's say a few years had passed. I mean, it had been why it had been a while since I picked up a mic. And uh, Dave, <clears throat> Dave Lester gives me a call and says, hey, man, I got a show that's going on in Stand Up New York. I would love for you to come out and be on the lineup. Uh, would you do it? I said, hey, no problem. And I never told this story out loud. And uh, I'm, I'm going to need to give you a little secret sauce here. There were two uh, recognizable figures that were there that particular evening. So mm-hmm. just, just real quick. So once, <clears throat> whenever I perform, <clears throat> Excuse me, old age kicking in. <clears throat> me, me, me. <clears throat> so, <laughs> why are you like this, though? So, uh, so this was the first time I had been on stage in a while, and I was telling coworkers to come. There were folks that at my that that I worked with who were familiar and knew that I did comedy when I was heavily doing it, uh, and for whatever reason, they never came out. But I never openly invited people to come because I kind of felt like if you know you can make it that's great but mm-hmm. and then I didn't publicize it you know it wasn't like back then you know flyers were not being made up like you couldn't get on your computer and make a quick flyer for a show that was going to be coming up in two weeks or whatever you didn't have a flyer made at all you pretty much just let people know it was a word of mouth thing <clears throat> so I let people at my job know about this and I'm like okay and I'm kind of feeling the pressure because I know it's been a while since I have been on stage, but I'm like, you know what? It's like riding a bike. I'm just oh, yeah. get back into it. Wait a minute. So sorry. Um, they say you don't, you can't forget how to ride a bike. It's fucking bullshit. I absolutely did forget how to ride a bike. I mean, it had definitely been over a decade since I had done so. But no, it's not just oh, hop back on. That is not true. Um, I hate to tell you, motherfuckers, it ain't true. Sorry, but you were attempting to get back on your bike. So then, what happened? So uh, tell us a few friends at the job, and they actually make it. So the two pivotal things I remember from this evening that I, that I actually picked up on before I actually got on stage was, one, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Road Trip. Yeah. Road I Trip was that, was that movie with uh, Tom Arnold, uh, another zany, kooky. Is that, is that the right one? Yeah, Road Trip. Yeah, another zany, kooky, uh, young uh, Anglo-Saxon uh, male teen uh, or, or young adult movie uh, in which, you know, these guys go on a road trip because uh, some guy sent out a breakup letter to his girlfriend. Come to find out the reason he wanted to break up with her was false and he was prematurely breaking up with her like it was totally unwarranted for him to break up with her. So they're trying to beat the letter to her or whatever. And they go on these right. zany adventures. And one of the zany scenarios they get into is they end up crashing a black frat party. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> DJ Qualls uh, who's a very slim and uh, svelte actor. Uh, most black people who probably haven't seen Road Trip are probably going to know him as the engineer in um, Hustle and Flow. He was the uh, he was the engineer in Hustle. He was the engineer of Hustle and Flow, wasn't he? Was that Anthony Anderson? I don't know. I'm laughing because I, I, I'd never seen Hustle and Flow, so I know him from Road Trip, so it's just funny because you said <clears> most black <throat> DJ Coles is the engineer in another movie where somebody was a recording artist, but whatever. But anyway, uh, see Road Trip. So anyway, there's a scenario, uh, there's a scene where they end up crashing this black frat and you think all racial hell is going to break loose. But of course, camaraderie, you know, and acceptance wins all. And there is a scene in which DJ Qualls ends up having a one night stand with a very voluptuous black young lady. And it just so happened that that young lady was in the audience at this particular show that I did. Oh my uh, goodness. Uh, a little plot twist though, God rest the dead. She did pass away a few years ago. I do not remember the actress's name, but she did pass away a few years ago, but she was there that night. And the other pivotal figure that was there that night was the now infamous Kevin Hart. Mm. And Kevin Hart uh, was a frequent performer at New York Comedy Club. And as I understand it, in his early days, I believe when he first started doing comedy in New York, uh, whenever he would perform at uh, Stand Up New York, he would he would not necessarily you know do the best. Like he would, it would be it was one of the more difficult rooms uh, that he would frequent a lot of the times, and he killed that particular day that I was there. And it was just so funny 
thinking back of how long ago that was, because again, we're talking like this, is like early 2000s now. So we're talking maybe like around, I want to say about 2002, 2003. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, Dave gets up, he warms up the crowd and uh, I get up on stage <clears throat> and right in the front, I have a few coworkers. Uh, one, uh, two of them are actually contemporaries. And then one of them is my manager at the time. Oh no. And, yeah. And I get up on stage and I'm like, hey, how's everybody doing? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember my first joke. And the reason I can't remember is because I got absolutely no response. <laughs> so absolutely. wait, when you, said, when you said, how's everyone doing, it was just crickets? No, no. When I said, how, how was everybody doing? Everybody was like, yeah, woo, woo. And then when <laughs> I let out my first joke, it was like. Oh, your brain blocked it out. PTSD, trauma. Okay, I got it. So to give you some more context, I every time I get on stage is always with the mentality and the motivation to kill. So mm-hmm. I want you to understand that until this particular show, I never did a show where I got absolutely no response. Not a boo, wow. not a not a staggering applause or staggering laughter, like absolutely nothing. And not that either. That sounds actually quite scary. <laughs> so, so I'm like, and I'm realizing like, okay, they didn't respond to the first joke. And then I started to interact with one of my coworkers. And I don't know what the joke was, but I made reference to my, to my friend. His name is Bernard. Uh, and I just said something to him and he just looked at me and he just was like smiling. And that was the only response that I was getting. It was, it was, it was, it was just, it was dry. My everything went dry. The laughter went dry. The energy went dry. My mouth went dry. And it was complete horror. And it was one of those instances where you will grab anything that you think you can salvage and turn into something. And everything I reach for, either I totally missed, or once I got my hands around it, I just ruined it even further. Oh my and I God. Think How I much time on, were you doing? I think I was about to say, I think it was on stage for maybe, that may have been like three minutes. And it was like, I don't know. I don't know how I got out of there. I don't know what, I can't remember. All I know was bad. It was oh. bad. I finally get off the stage and this was a paid gig. Mm. So I'm over there sitting down and that's when I see the young lady from a uh, road, uh, road trip. And she just kind of looks at me and she goes, she goes, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> she mouthed the word to me. It's okay. The soothing black woman. You, yeah, you right? were in a movie. Right. So Dave comes over to me. He's like, man, you're right. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I, I guess. And he's like, all right. And he hands me, he hands me the money. I'm like, what are you doing? And he was like, well, I booked you for the show. And I said, Dave, I can't take your money. I did not perform. These people did not laugh. I just ate like a bag of dicks. I said, I, I, I refuse to accept payment <laughs> for that lackluster performance I gave you. Oh my and did goodness. not accept payment. Did not accept payment. And that pretty much ended my, that ended my pursuit of comedy. It was so devastating that when I would see people who had seen me perform Oh, or no. people who knew I performed, when they asked me, Stacy, why I wasn't performing, uh-huh. I, w- I was still in that place when I was on stage. And I never said out loud till later on in life that I was scared. I was scared to get back on stage. I was mm. totally consumed by stage fright. The idea of getting on stage again in an attempt to do comedy, I, I, sooner, I sooner murder my own mother in broad daylight in front of a police precinct I cannot and do stand-up comedy again or even make the attempt. <laughs> and years passed, years. So you figure this was, two, let's say 2003 for argument's sake. <clears throat> let's fast forward to, this is what, 2021? So let's fast forward to 2016. 2016. And let's go back a little bit further. That's let's, what go, I let's say early 2016. Okay. Dave is still very much doing comedy, and now he's a producer extraordinaire. So now he's producing these shows uh, in which he wants to provide you with stand-up comedy along with a with a full-bodied, holistic entertainment experience. So mm-hmm. he started to do uh, the comedy and burlesque shows. 
And you have to understand, too, through the years, Dave would always invite me to shows that he was either hosting or lineups that he was on. And every blue moon, I would pop up. And every time Dave would see me or Dave would speak to me, he'd be like, I'm going to get you back on stage. I'm going to get you back on stage. And I'm like, man, stop. That's not going to happen. If I put up a little funny quip on Facebook, you need to you need to write that down and you know put that put you know say down on Yo, mic. That or, is or so Dave. Dave will push you like push you and pull you and and tussle you back to comedy. It's like and bro, I'm like, man, I I'm, I'm like you know I'm like I'm like the chick that you know was in the fire. You know like ain't nobody trying to do that. Like I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know <laughs> I got asthma. So ain't nobody got time for the stage. Yeah, no. got time. What's her name? Sweet Brown, right? Sweet Brown was her name. Yeah. And yeah, she's like completely rehabbed, living her best life now. Good for her. Yes, exactly right. So, uh, so yeah, I was like, man, hell no. So he starts doing a steady, consistent, uh, run of these shows, and then I start going, and I and I and I always, I'm a, I'm a fan of the arts. So, for instance, if you're doing a show and you tell me in a lineup, if you're hosting, you're producing it, I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm not going to go to the door. I'm not one of these comics that will go to the door. And expect that because I'm a member of the comedy community, that that translates into me not having to pay. Right. Uh, I, be- I believe in my friends who are in the arts. I believe in my friends who are stand-up comedians. You tell me you got a show, then I'm basically telling you, you I'm going to pay for a ticket. Unless, of course, you tell me, hey, man, come on down. I got a seat for you. If you say, hey, just come on down, I understand that means, you know, I'm going to buy a ticket. That's what I'm going to do. Mm. And that's what I did. I patronized Dave's events. And just slowly started to reintroduce and re-immerse myself. Is that a word? Re-immerse? Is that a word? It is today. <laughs> I started to re-immerse myself uh, back into the comedy community. And I never forget after a show, uh, me and Dave were walking to, uh, to the train. And I'm like, so what's the comedy culture like right now? What, what's, the, what's the climate like? And he was like, why are you asking? And I'm like, you know, I just, I just you know, I just, I, I, you know, I'm just, I'm asking questions. He's like, well... He's like, you really want to know? I feel like this was like a scene, like, well, I'm like the new inmate and he's like the old inmate. We're like walking the yard. And I'm like, what's it like here? And he's like, you really want to know? That's what I feel like the story is like. So he was like, you really want to know? You need to get your ass back in the scene. You need to get back on the scene. I was like, right. And that terrified me when he said that. I'm like, oh, my God. But at the same time, (laughs) excuse me. He was right. Well, here's the thing. For me, I felt a familiarity. I felt like I think this is something I can do again. I think this is something that I can re-enter into and it's going to be all right. Like once once he said that to me, my heart dropped. But at the same time, it was it was it was beating ferociously because I was getting that rush again as if I were about to go back on stage. Mm. So uh, I went to about two more of those functions and then Dave comes up to me and says, look, man, I'm doing this comedy workshop. I want you to uh, I want you to come down and check it out. And I said, OK, I was like, so, you know, what's the cause? He tells me the cause. I said, OK, I'll be there. And then this is where our lives, uh, my life and your life intersect. And this That's is where we I met. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that was, was that, I want to say that was either September or October of 2016. Uh, right on I the cusp like of. Yeah. Say it again. I feel like it was October because I feel like Halloween was looming. Yeah, oh, because I was about to say we were right on the cusp of of election. It was an election year. The writing was on the wall, but everybody was kind of in denial. Like at that point, uh, we were not really buying the idea that Trump was actually going to win the presidency. Everybody thought at that point in time it was going to be Hillary. Also, a side note to distract us from the idea that uh, Trump would would become or could be president. We were too busy doing mannequin challenges to really focus on uh, news that was prevalent of the day. So that was mm-hmm. the other popular thing that was happening back then. But yeah. yeah, we go into this, we meet, me and you meet initially in this writer's comedy group. And I'm sitting there and I don't know if you remember this, but you guys, I, it might've been, it was my first session, but I think for everybody else that was there, Stefan Bishop was there. Uh, who else was there? You were there. Dave was there. Uh, Barnia was there. Not as a comic, though, but she was there. Right, Barnia was a big fan of the comedy community. Um, man, there was somebody. Ashley King was there. He was also there. So yes. you guys are vibing. And I'm like, I think I'm just out of my element. Like, I don't really think 
I got anything. And we're sitting there. I remember we were sitting down. This is at the basement of a of BK9, BK9. which is a popular eatery and a hot spot in Brooklyn. And I remember we down there and we're like at this long table, like almost as long as the one that was in New Jack City. And everybody's letting off their jokes, da 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 And I'm like looking and I'm like, yo, I don't think I got this. I like, I really think I'm done. Like, I really don't have anything to contribute. And mm. then Stefan had an idea. Stefan was bringing up an idea that he was working on because uh, he's a dad and he was bringing up the idea or he had a concept about uh, how his fatherhood or how people had a hard time understanding or accepting that he was a father uh, right. because of how young he was. And also at that time, his son was slowly becoming the same height as him. So he was trying to make a play on that. And then I remember saying something and then everybody like laughed and it was like legitimate laughter. And I was like, Oh, I don't really think they're humoring yeah. me. I think I've really still got something. <laughs> Oh, and, that's um, such a beautiful moment. <laughs> yeah. So then um <clears throat> that was pretty much it for me. I I was like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this writing thing and, and see where it takes me. And I think either the second or third session for me, uh at the end of it, and I don't know if you were there at that particular session, uh, but Dave says to me, yo, I got a show coming in November and uh I'm gonna put you on it. And I'm like, I was there because I remember like the way you getting quiet right now. I remember the look on your face. Yeah. And it was like I, I had that same look when Will Smith asked Uncle Phil, like, how come he don't want me, man? Like I had that same look. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was like, I was like, OK, he's like, I'm serious. I want you to do it. I was like, oh, OK, all right. All right. All right. And he says, OK, he says, so I want you to start working on material. And uh, like I told you, he's like, I told you, I'm, I'm going to get you back out there. I was like, OK. And continued to go to sessions after that and became terrified, terrified. Mm. And <clears throat> this was this was late October because Trump had not won. Well, I take that back. He had one. He was he was officially announced the winner. Chappelle had already hosted for the first time on SNL that year. And he, in his monologue, he talked about it. And mm -hmm. I remember I had an entire month from the time that Dave told me up until the time of the actual show, which the five-year anniversary just passed, which I believe was either November 26th or November 28th. And it was at the, uh, which, which I just saw recently had closed down the five spot. The five spot has now uh, become a victim of COVID and uh, have officially closed down permanently. Mm -hmm. uh, shouts out to Freddie Sheffield, who used to do the uh, the Tipsy Hustle show there every Friday night uh, for the comics, as well as uh, the open mic that we have there on Tuesdays that I was fortunate enough and privileged enough for him to ask me to host um, some of those uh, dates when he was not able to host the uh, host the open mic. Mm -hmm. So I remember, I remember we met up and Dave had put together the flyer and uh, I think we were at Starbucks and I was like, I don't know if you could tell, but I was just like consumed with just like fear and just doubt. And I'm like, yo, this is really happening. And I couldn't believe it. And every time I would look at that flyer, I would be like, oh, oh no. I would be like, oh no, this is, it, I got this, I got this. And then I, when I realized that date would be getting closer and closer, I was like, oh man, I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know about this. I don't know. Hmm. So the last writing session, I remember that, that I attended, I actually was late. I got caught up doing something. And sometimes we would actually meet at the, uh, if we didn't meet at BK9, we would meet at uh, the Panera Bread that was over there by Front Street. Okay. And um, I remember when I came in there and Dave was like, yo, you ready for the show? And this, we used to do these writing uh, rooms on Sundays. And he's like, you ready for the show next week? And I'm right. like, I'm like, yeah, he was. And while I think Ashley was there, Stefan, I don't know if you were there. And in front of that, that particular writing class, Dave says, okay, let's hear your stuff. Let's hear it. Oh, wow. No, I wasn't there for that. I must have missed that. Yeah. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I said, no, no. I said, I said, you know how I am because I am that way. I really don't like anybody to hear my material until I get on stage. I kind of like Wanted to be an experience for everybody, right? And I said, "No, nah, man." I said, "I'm not. No, I'm not doing that now." And he, David, looked at me. He was like, "Okay, okay." Mm -hmm. So I'll fight with you, sir. So that right, way. exactly. So the show comes up. 
I believe it's either Friday or Saturday, and I get there early. And um, the way the five spot is set up is that when you walk in, uh, the entire bar is over to your left. The stage is directly down. You know, you got to walk in a little bit, but the stage is at the end of the bar. Mm-hmm. And I was at the far end. Like, as soon as you come in, like, the, the bar is at a 90-degree angle, like a reverse L. I was at the far end by the wall just having a natural fit. Just, like, having a fit. Uh, questioning yourself. all decisions that I made up until that point. Like, why the fuck did I do this? Why am, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Uh, did not try out, as I was accustomed to doing, had not tried out any of my material. On anybody, anytime with anybody, you not nobody. even the mirror. Nobody, barely the mirror, barely the mirror. Damn. And again, this is a this is a this is a this is an entire experience. So again, this is another comedy and burlesque show. Uh, he actually had a a vocalist that was there, which I did. Okay, this this just hit me in the head. The vo- <laughs> the vocalist that performed that night. Uh, I actually dated. We actually went together for a hot minute years later and did not realize when I was dating her. I knew I saw her someplace, but I did not realize it was at this show. And we're now going to get into the reason why I could not remember she was at this show. Oh, boy. uh, One comedian goes up and I think maybe one burlesque act and then it's time for me to go up. And Dave introduces me and I get up on stage and the crowd, it was a, it was a nice, it was a fair amount of people there. And uh, I, hey, hey, how's everybody doing? And I was like, yeah, good, good. And I immediately just started to rush. I was jittery. I was rushing. And I find myself right back at the spot or in that place or in that mindset when I was at Stand Up New York. I was in that same exact spot where, like, I immediately felt like I was not connected with the audience. They're not laughing. And I'm just going to start reaching for straws. So mind you now, we're talking about from 2003 up until 2016. Mm. I have not been on stage in any capacity. No open mic, nothing, nothing. And I, you know, I forget my, my acumen. I forget my etiquette. So as I'm going down in flames, I reach into my back pocket and I pull out my routine. And I start to read it. I start to read it. And it's, you know, I got it in list form and I'm going by the list and I'm like saying the list out loud, like a la Dion Cole, except way, way more tragic and way, way more just, just, oh. And I thought like, and I'm doing the thing like, okay, I'll talk about this, I'll talk about, and I'm getting chuckles by doing this, but this isn't my act. So for right. me, this is not what I wanted to do. And I'm like, dip that and the other, da 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 da. Oh, okay, da 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 da. Then I do that joke, and it just, it just sucks a dick. It just sucks a big, veiny, hairy at the shaft dick. Oh my god! And when I get off the stage. When I get off the stage, it was it was staggered applause when I got off the stage. I also remember I tried to engage with somebody in the audience again. I did that bullshit. And it was just smiled. <laughs> yo, it was just the fucking worst. And this one, I ate harder on this one because I had a you know, I had a month's notice, but I I was in a I was in a I was in a zone where I okay, I'm in a I'm in a writing room. Like I'm, I'm coming up with material. I'm listening to other people come up with material. So I'm in this now, I'm now in this environment to where it's conducive to me. Okay. Getting these creative juices going. Let's get these oh, jokes going. Like, I'm going to be funny by osmosis. Okay. okay. Yeah. And man, it was, Oh my God, Stacey. It was just like, I felt like I got hit in the stomach with like a hairy gorilla fist. Oh God. And I just get off stage and I just want to get out of there. I just want to get out of there. But I didn't. I stayed. I stayed for the whole show because I was like, you know what? I'm going to stay because if this is what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And if, if I'm really serious about this, then this is just a bump in the road. Right. You know, I don't know how spectacular I thought I was going to be. But 
I wasn't consumed with a, a level of, of guilt or a level of failure that I was when this happened the last time. And I think really because I was older and my sensibilities have changed. And also because I had dealt with like real rejection. I had dealt with uh, real, I guess if you want to say failure or, or falling short of things that I thought that I was going to soar and fly high. Right. So not doing well at this show was like, okay. This, and I realized, okay, coming back into it now, a little bit older, a little bit wiser, this comes with the territory. So it doesn't mean I'm not funny. It just means that I was not funny to this particular group of people. See, that's all that's really like when your ego came out of it, you know, because we were talking, I was talking about that before with like when you bomb, it's the crab, but when you do great, you're the king, right? So it's like you right. just have like really perspective, basically. That's that's good that you were able to do that and you didn't just like fully, you know, quit again in a sense. But hey, we got yeah. you. Down. Yeah. And then I started to do more mics, uh, started to get a couple more shows and then really started to find my rhythm. And then even instances where I would I would do a show and I wasn't doing that well. I wasn't getting the response that I felt I should have gotten or the response I was expecting to get. Uh, I, I pressed on. And what it taught me is that, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be my comedic truth up here and I'm going to present my t my material as I see fit. And those that are going to vibe with it, I'm going to welcome them. And then those that don't, I understand that they're out there. But right. I'm going to stick to I'm going to stick to being me. And that's for me. That's where I got. That's where my confidence comes from, knowing that when I get on stage, that's really me. That's not me doing what I think I should be doing. Yeah, that's I not me doing my rendition of, right. Yeah. I'm not doing a rendition of somebody else's material or somebody else's image. Like it's me. So when I fuck up and when I eat a bag of dicks, yep, those are my dicks. So yeah, I'm going to eat them. Yeah, they can be. That's amazing because it's important because it's like, there's that there's both sides of the coin like yes it's me you know either it's but then you could take it badly and be like well you don't accept me you don't like me you don't like what i have to say but then you know again you take your ego out of it it's like listen either we vibe or we don't it's the same way in life so either you're gonna laugh or you're not that's that's really all there is to it i came up here to do my damn job it is what it is yeah and i've always favored like i love a good crowd like i love a nice size crowd but there's a part of me and i don't know if this is the the, the, the masochist in me, but I kind of enjoy or sometimes I look forward to a small crowd and a crowd that you kind of have to work to get their attention. Yeah. Like I've, done, <laughs> I've done a show. I can't remember the name, of the, the name of the spot. I hadn't been there that many times, but they had an open mic on Monday nights and it was this Irish pub down in Queens mm -hmm. and going down there on Monday nights. And I mean, it would be, it would be late. Like I wouldn't get on to maybe like, 10 30 11 o'clock and you know the crowd is drinking you know they're very vocal and i would thoroughly enjoy doing those shows because it's intimate enough to where they they can immediately get what you're saying you can they can immediately tune in to your energy and then in that same you know the flip of a switch boom they they, they can just attack you they could just r rush from the bar and literally <laughs> just, just mob you in an attempt to uh to rape you and take your wallet. So I kind of thrive on, in those types of scenarios because I think for me, I feel that's where I get the most honest and the most truth from my performance by people who could easily be distracted uh, by watching something else go on or who are sometimes uh, altered by uh, by other substances or goings on. So <laughs> you so you like all my life I had to fight. Even on stage, you just kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was I, I had a nice streak going. Um, outside of Mike's, uh, I started to really get uh, make some strong networks with some other folks in the comedy community and had a really good run in early 2020. And unfortunately, a lot of those shows did not come to fruition because around the late part of February, early part of March, uh, the talk was swirling around that there may be some sort of mandate that would uh, force venues to not hold events. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those events that were a lot of those venues that were booked for comedy shows. Uh, one of them I had went to, they had gotten actually after all the comics got there, the show got called because enough people didn't show up for the show to go on. And right. then pretty much after that, any other show that I was booked for, those venues ultimately ended up canceling 
the events, which ultimately led to them unfortunately shutting down because of COVID. So the last time I was on stage, I believe was, I want to say it's March of 2020. So now it's been, it's going to be coming up on two years since I've been on stage. <clears throat> since then, I've left New York and I relocated here to Charlotte uh, for the sake of my livelihood. I could not find work uh, when I was in New York. I got let go from my tele telecommunications job in 2018, uh, looked around for work from 2018 up until 2020. Mm -hmm. And uh, even before the pandemic, late 2019, nothing panned out. And I had made the decision then that if uh, nothing came up in the earlier, like the first two months of 2020, I was going to be out of here and uh, <clears throat> move to Charlotte. So came to Charlotte the week after Mother's Day weekend uh, to look for an apartment. It's a strange time for me to choose to relocate. Let me, uh, as a black man, you know, to relocate uh, during a historical uh, and monumental pandemic. And then <laughs> it was also uh, on the heels of the George Floyd murder. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, you know what? My life is going pretty smooth. Uh, let me make it harder by moving to the South right yes. now. Yes, at this moment <clears throat> in time. But was it not an amazing decision, sir? Uh, it was an amazing decision. Uh, got here in June of last year. Uh, my objective at that point in time was to, was to find a permanent position with a major organization, and I did that. I was hired by a financial institution in October of last year. Had every intention of wanting to grow with that institution, but as the curtain slowly got pulled back on that organization uh, for the six months that I was there, I realized that it was an organization that I did not feel that I could grow with, uh, with, the, with the original intention that I had when I got there. So April of this year, while still with that financial organization, uh, I started looking for work outside of that, you know, outside of there, uh, because I really felt like I wondered what type of opportunity I would have been able to create for myself. <clears throat> excuse me, had the pandemic not existed, like had it just been business as usual. Right. And that was eating at me too. So April of this year, I started looking and gave myself four months. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give myself, you know, four months to see if I can land a better opportunity with another organization and see what happens. And excuse me, lo and behold, I ended up getting an offer uh, in September of this year to start in October of this year. Uh, with another tele telecommunications uh, organization. Very happy. The money is very sweet. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but now, now that that has been fulfilled and now that particular goal has been met, uh, next year I'm going to put uh, all of my energy uh, into getting back on stage because with yeah. the pandemic going on, <clears throat> with the pandemic going on, I was not in a rush to get on stage here, because you have to understand, I, I lived in uh, Corona, Queens, left Rack City when the uh, pandemic hit. And at that point in time, in March, uh, Corona, Queen, Corona, Queens literally was the hot spot of the country at that time. Yeah. And right. I was in the house. I was. It was like I was Instacarting. I was Uber eating. The few times I made attempts, I was fortunate enough to where I had a a supermarket across the street from me. But when I would go across the street, if the line was long, I would immediately turn right back around and go back up into my apartment and really didn't start to venture out in my apartment until I want to say like mid to late April, probably like around mid April mm. of 2020. And uh, I was fine with it. I'm an only child. I have no siblings. Both of my parents are deceased, uh, never been married. So uh, being by myself, <clears throat> being single is something I embrace. So uh, I was fine during the pandemic. I was not losing my mind. If anything, I was, I was, I, was getting... I feel the yeah. same way. I was like, I don't understand why everyone's freaking out. And then I just came to the realization that most people don't like themselves. So they can't spend a lot of time with themselves is really what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah. <clears throat> and we could talk all day about, about that, about what people were really doing or not doing or what they should have been doing, doing during the pandemic. But for me, it was like, okay, I was just going to be paying attention to people who did not have the same lifestyle as me. I was, I was curious to see how they were going to come out of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> but again, you know, uh, once I made the move here, I was not anxious to get back outside because once I moved here, which was June of last year, uh, Mecklenburg County, which is the county I live in here in Charlotte, they were the hot spot of the state of North Carolina when I got here. So I'm like, oh, 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 you wacky university. Yet you test me again. So uh, 
I was uh, I was like, okay, I'm not going outside. I mean, I had to go to work, but I was like, I'm not going outside unnecessarily. So right. uh, that's why I did not foray back into uh, comedy last year and also this year. Because I, I said to myself, personally, the pandemic was 2020. 2021 is the year of the actual vaccine. I said, I'm going to wait until 2022 to see how to see the end result of the last two years. Right. Uh, most importantly, you know, how, you know, the, the whole vaccine. And of course, we got the uh, the Unicron or the Omnipoint. Well, I don't know what this variant is called, but you just we got made a new variant. It's Omicron. It's a damn great yeah. letter of the alphabet. The, uh, yes, yes. The Oh My God variant is now hot. I feel like I feel, I feel like the coronavirus, that all the different variants are like new new hip hop artists that just come out like every every quarter, and it's just like I don't I don't keep up with this music. Who who is this again? Oh my like, god! I don't, wait, it's like new it's like new hip hop and or R and B bands, and they're all managed by Diddy, which is why they don't last. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're all tax write offs. Every single one of them. Right. So, Agreed. so yeah. So I'm basically you know just staying masked up. Uh, washing my hands, using hand sanitizer, eating my vegetables, saying my prayers like a good Hulkamaniac. So I really, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting back into comedy come next year. And I'm really getting, I'm really just looking forward to really just being outside a little bit more than I was this past year, but more importantly, with the intent and the purpose to, uh, to reintroduce myself into comedy and to see how to see to see to see the comedy scene here in the, here in this particular area because I don't know what it's like and uh, I'm very curious to see so uh, I'll be uh, I'll be making my way back to the mic for uh, the year 2022 and you heard it here first we have a return of Mr Roger Dupree too yes 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 and hopefully with less baggled dicks with me hopefully oh but you my know god. What? Please, you let's hope there are, are no bag of dicks, at least for the, just for the first year. Let you just have one, you know, a good year, just a good year. Yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm looking forward to everything that comes along with it. I'm all for the, the journey of the experience. And to be quite honest, uh, I could not tell you what scenario or situation would have to play out in front of me in order for me to stop doing comedy again. Uh, and I won't be able to tell you until I see it. So with that being said, I will continue to pursue it and continue to immerse myself into it until that thing that's in front of me that uh, that that I don't want to go past appears uh, appears uh, it, it appears itself in front of me. But until then, I'm going to keep going. So until then, those are wise words. I thank you so much for taking time to tell me about all the bags of dicks that you ate. Um, yes, I know- thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful being on your show for the first time. First time for me. I feel like that was a dig, which is rightfully earned. But yes, I can't believe I did not have you on season one. I'm so very sorry for that. That it's is okay. You know what? I feel good because you know what? You know, had I had I not had the experience of bombing on stage, I might not be able to take this particular scenario too well. So see, learning experiences. I'm a better so human being for it. I love it. Thank you so much. Now tell the people where they can follow you, see you. And love you and all that other good stuff. Uh, I'm on Facebook under my name, but, but I don't even. I think the only thing I do on Facebook now is I, I post birthday wishes to people that are never on Facebook. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram uh, under the moniker of psychologist. That's S O C K C O L O G I S T. Did I put an S at the end? I don't know, but if you no. just type in my name, Roger Dupree, it'll come up. That's R O D as in David, G as in George. E.R. Dupree, and you leave off the last S for savings. Okay, on that note, I am officially done with you. Obviously not. Love you. Never. You're stuck with me. Um, And thank you so much, though. This has been great. I love you. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Continue success with all of your future endeavors, especially those that are embedded in the world of comedy and entertainment. Oh, love you, too. Okay, bye. Bye.